Uh, good morning. If you're if you're here for the first time, know that we are glad that you're here with us. You know, here at New City, uh, we are a small, close knit family, uh, and we want you to know that being here, you're cared for, you're loved, and you are valued. You know, I really consider it a great privilege to be able to pass through this church. Uh, and just a friendly reminder, you know, I want to encourage I want to encourage you to be praying for our kids. Uh, kids, this this week we've got Kids Week, uh, and I want to ask if you could just carve out some time this week to be intentionally praying for our kids. Uh, would you pray for kids this week to give their life to Jesus? Uh, would you pray that we would see uh, we would see God raise up our kids to love the church? That church would not be a burden but or a chore. Uh, that our kids would grow up to love the church that our kids would be zealous for the Lord and his mission, and that our kids would be deeply rooted in Christ and the gospel. You know, every day at 10.02, you know, my watch, uh, it goes off. There's an alarm that goes off, and I pray the Luke 10.2 prayer uh, most of the time, which is to pray for more laborers, uh, to be sent out into the harvest, to be sent out into God's mission. And this week, I'm praying specifically for our kids, not just to grow up to be laborers, but that God would make them laborers now. Uh, and in many ways, many of them already are. Now, we are serious here about raising up the next generation, and we believe that the next generation is worth our time and our energy and our resources. And it's going to be a great time this week uh, for our kids. You know, it's a small and simple way for our kids just to grow up to love the church and to further them along in their discipleship journey. And so if you uh, or you know someone that hasn't signed up, go ahead and get them signed up. We begin this Wednesday night. Uh, and then secondly... Uh, next week, we begin the second half of Exodus, which we began last summer. We're going to finish it this summer, and it's going to carry us to August, uh, which means today we officially end our 16-week trek through 2 Corinthians. Uh, and if you remember, Paul wrote this letter to the Corinthian church with some tough situations going on around him. And one of those hard situations was a rebellious group of people that didn't think Paul was a legitimate apostle. <laughs> All the while, Paul deeply loved these people. I know 2 Corinthians is Paul's most emotional letter that goes into great depths where the comfort of Christ is found in the midst of him being burdened and criticized and belittled. It's a, this is a rich book full of gold for the weary, and I hope that it's been beneficial for you, but I know it's been helpful for me. You know, throughout this letter, we've seen Paul's zeal and passion as well as his pastoral heart. Uh, and today we see Paul's closing remarks to end his letter, and he ends it with a warning of love. He warns them that he's coming to see them and he's pleading for a change of heart, for an honest reflection. Uh, today, there's a lot of ground to go cover with a lot of great verses with many different themes, which makes having one clear big idea a little bit more challenging. Uh, there's so many different directions that we could go today. However, when we look at the book as a whole and who he's addressing on the back, you know, three or four chapters of this book, I believe that God has led us today to see a picture of steadfast and enduring love in light of rebellion. Because remember, the last one-third of this letter, he's addressing a small rebellious group. And today, in his closing remarks, uh, he's, he's, he's addressing the rebellious few. And in doing so, Paul models various ways in which he shows love. But our big takeaway today is not to be like Paul and how he loves, as great as a model as he is. Uh, no, we want to go upstream a little further to Paul's source, which leads us to our main idea, which is Jesus came to lovingly endure with the rebellious. That's where we're going towards the end of our time. But before we get there, we're going to see how Paul models this with the Corinthian church in his closing remarks, closing his letter with tough love. 
with speaking the truth while also patiently enduring with them. And so if you're here today and someone uh, who is close with you or someone you love deeply is living in rebellion, I hope that you'll listen up. I hope that this will encourage you to endure in your love towards them. Or if someone you deeply care for and love has hurt you, I pray that you too will tune in. Or maybe you're the one in rebellion. Then this, my friend, is also for you. And I say that while also knowing that the reality is if we're brutally honest with ourselves, each of us, we all by nature are rebellious. Some form of rebellion appear, uh, appear bigger than others, but our, at our core, rebellion speaks to each of us in some way. And, you know, rebellion is one of those things that uh, people have mixed feelings about. Some people are natural rule followers. Um, we have one of those in our house. She was awarded a great award, uh, the rule-following queen, where some people see a rule uh, and their first instinct is to try to find a way around it. We have several of those in our house. Uh, They get it on us because I too was one of those. But this idea of rebellion is interesting. Sometimes rebellion is a bit bit heroic, like rebelling against the status quo to make a good change in the world. Uh, But that's not what Paul is addressing because the rebellion Paul is addressing seems to be a rebellion against Paul's wishes. But Paul knows it's not just a rebellion against him, but it's a rebellion against God, which is tragic. And because of that, Paul comes in and lovingly warns them in our passage. And so today, as we walk through this, concluding this book, we'll have five different points we're going to see, uh, seeing enduring love in light of rebellion and seeing how uh, Paul modeled this. But then after that, we're going to tie it all together with our main idea, seeing that Jesus came to lovingly endure with the rebellious. And so look, starting in verse 14 of chapter 12, uh, where Paul begins his closing remarks. Again, this is preparing them for his third and final visit um, that he's hoping is just going to go well. Uh, Look what Paul says. Here for the third time, I am ready to come to you. And I will not be a burden, for I seek not what is yours, but you. For children are not obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? Uh, Paul doesn't want to be a burden. I'm going to stop there. He doesn't want to take anything from them. He just wants to spend time with them. You know, if you remember chapters 8 and 9, Paul had this long discussion on generosity and giving, uh, and giving and encouraging the church to be generous. But here at the end, he's addressing those in rebellion and he's showing them he doesn't want anything from them. That's what he said. He said that in verse 14. I seek not which is yours, but you. He doesn't expect anything from them. He's on the pursuit of them and their souls so uh, to show that he loves them. In fact, in verse 15, uh, I love this phrase. Paul says, I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. You know, with ministry uh, and three small kids, many of you may feel this way, but this is the way I feel at the end of most days, just completely spent, like a tired puppy, just wiped out and exhausted and asleep. I mean, within 30 seconds of my head hitting a couch pillow, I wish I was joking, um, but I'm not, and I'm not narcoleptic, uh, so just spare me of that later. I've been accused of that many times, but I'm not. Uh, Paul here, but he's, he's showing that parental love that a mother or father shows when they will go to great lengths for their kids, and they do it gladly, as Paul says. But what we can't forget here, what takes this to another level, is that he's speaking to people and about people who have criticized him. 
and didn't think he was legitimate. They thought he was ugly. They didn't think he spoke well. And they saw him as a walking billboard that showed hardship at every turn. And if you remember, Paul just had a long-winded, acting a full talk as he described it to these people at the, at the end of this letter. And he's now saying, I'm coming again to you. In fact, I expect nothing from you, but I will spend and be spent for your soul. Paul was willing to do whatever it took for them because he loved them. Which leads us to our first point. Number one, enduring love pursues the rebellious. And so let me ask, who is it in your life that you just want to give up on? You're tired, of weary, tired and weary of showing grace and kindness over and over again, just to be turned against over and over again. You see glimpses of hope and change just to later fall backwards again. And you're tired and weary of being tired and weary. Let me remind you, this is exactly how Paul felt. Paul, but Paul was willing to spend and be spent for their souls. We're going to come back to this because there's so much more here, but I want to encourage you today to press on and to continue pursuing. If there is a person in your life that is hard to pursue, God's word tells us to not lose hope and to press on. Again, there's so much more to this equation uh, that motivates and fuels us, but I want to address the person in the room or maybe watching online that has been the one running. Maybe you're the one in rebellion. I don't know what it may be, but I bet you know or have an idea Maybe you're a Christian, maybe you're not. But if you have someone who is pursuing you in your rebellion and loving you day in and day out and week in and week out and trying to point you to Jesus, I pray that you would see that, their pursuit, as an act of love on you, shown to you. That you would see that as the hand of God working in your life. You may not see that now, but one day when you look back, just maybe you'll see it as how God's, as God's kindness in your life. You know, 19 years ago, I had several people continue to pursue me in my own rebellion. And I thank God often for them and for them pursuing me, that they didn't just give up on me. And so if you're the one pursuing, press on. If you're the one being pursued, I pray that you see that as God's kindness in your life. And maybe today is the day that you see that and you begin to listen and maybe even respond. But let's keep going. Let's look at what Paul says next. But granting that I myself did not burden you, I was crafty, you say, and got the better of you by deceit. And then Paul goes on to defend himself in verse 17. That I take advantage of you through any of those whom I sent to you. I urged Titus to go and sent the brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not act in the same spirit? Did we not take the same steps? Have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you? It is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ and all for your upbuilding, beloved. Paul, again, uh, shows he has is, he is only meant well for this Corinthian church. They thought he was deceiving them and being uh, deceitful, but Paul, again, affirms that he didn't take advantage of them and shows this by how he sent Titus and how Titus actually treated them well. Paul said in verse 19, in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ. And then he says, and all for your upbuilding, beloved. I love that. <laughs> he calls them beloved. We see Paul's pastoral warmth kind of coming out. Uh, but he shows and models our second point, number two, enduring love builds up the rebellious. You know, I get it. This doesn't make a lot of sense at first, maybe. Uh, because when someone has been rebellious, the natural thought is, why should they be built up? 
Should they not be punished? Said the natural rule follower. But as Paul said, his hope was to encourage and build up the church, which included those who had been in rebellion. Just because someone has rebelled or gone astray doesn't mean we write them off. No, Jesus tells the parable where the man left the 99 sheep to go after the one. And as the body of Christ, we shouldn't expect perfection. Rather, we should almost expect rebellion because of sin in its nature. But as the body of Christ, when others rebel or go astray, we are to lovingly go after them and to build them up and to encourage them. As we'll see in a few minutes, yes, Paul corrected and confronted the rebellious, but it wasn't done without trying to build them up in Christ. Paul wanted to see them grow and to mature. And so if we're to spend and be spent for the souls of others, we need to show and encourage people and remind people of the goodness of where they're going. Because oftentimes, when people are rebellious, whether it's a child or a friend or a coworker or a family member, it's often because they don't have a clear picture of where they're going. Or they don't have a good understanding or the belief that where they're going is for their good. You know, a child disobeys because they believe that what they want is better than what is being asked of them. Whenever someone rebels, it's because they believe that their way is better than the current way. And following the Lord is the narrow and hard path. And the narrow and hard path following the Lord, there is a great tendency to lose sight of why the narrow and hard path is worth it. But when you know who's on the path with you, that being Jesus, <laughs> And you know that at the end of the path, which is being with Jesus forever, with God in his full glory, uh, the narrow path, when you know Jesus, is a, is a no-brainer. But when people rebel against the narrow path of following Jesus, we need to encourage and build up to help them see why that narrow path is worth it. And so may we be a people in a church that are known for building up the rebellious. Not that we would encourage further rebellion. No, not at all but that we are known for seeing those who are wandering in rebellion and that New City Church would be a safe space to be brought back in and built back up in the Lord. Yes, we are planting a church. I get it. But may we be more than that. May we be a tight-knit web of community that builds one another up, that encourages and spurs on each other towards Jesus so that rebellion isn't even attractive. And not if we rebel, but, but when it happens in some way. I pray that our community, our church, will be marked by how we are filled with open arms that point each other back to Jesus. And look what Paul says next about their rebellion, starting in verse 20. For I fear that perhaps when I come, I may find you not as I wish, and that you may find me not as you wish, that perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder, I fear that when I come again and my uh, I come again my God may humble me before you and I may have to mourn over many of those who have sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity sexual immorality and sensuality that they have practiced. Yes, Paul longs to build up the rebellious but he also cares deeply about their rebellion and it hurts him. <laughs> He's fearful of it. He says in verse 20, he fears that when he comes, he may not find what he wants to see. He's afraid he's going to find quarreling and jealousy and anger and hostility and slander and gossip, conceit, disorder. Paul says he's afraid of, of this, not only for them, but for himself. 
Because he knows when he finds what he's afraid he may find, it will cause him to mourn because there hasn't been any repentance, that they haven't changed and that they've, uh, they've turned away uh, from what they're doing. Paul's afraid that their rebellion continued and his effort to build them up, that it didn't work. Again, Paul has been tired and weary. He's been tearful, and we've seen in this letter, and he's afraid, uh, and he's afraid that he will be tired and weary again. <laughs> Paul is tired and weary of being tired and weary. Again, we see Paul here that he cared deeply for this church. He really loved these people, and, and when they rebelled, it was hard for him, which is a hard reality that we all have to face when we're seeking to lovingly endure in light of rebellion. And we must remember that when we're enduring, it won't be found without mourning. <laughs> it won't come without tears and heartache. Leading us to our next point, number three, enduring love mourns over the rebellious. This is the painful and obvious part that makes enduring in love so difficult because it hurts, it's painful. Seeing those you love make poor choices and continue in rebellion in whatever way it may be. Maybe it's excessive drinking and drunkenness or drugs or girl or guy after girl or guy, or maybe they can't hold a job or continued lying or cheating. We could go on and on. Or maybe it looks like a different form of rebellion. Like I'm not going to let anybody in my life is an isolated type of rebellion because of being hurt too many times. Or maybe it's just being cut off from communication. Or maybe it's, it's from a relational rejection. Or quite possibly in a different kind of way, maybe rebellion looks like ignoring God's call on your life. Or just to be plain apathetic to God's mission. And rebelling, rebelling against God's purpose for you. All that to say, there are all different types of rebellion for the Christian and for the non-Christian. But to lovingly endure with others involves mourning over the rebellious. Paul was afraid of what he would find because he knew if what he found out wasn't good, it would deeply grieve him. Why? Because he loved them deeply. You know, we all want to be loved deeply. That's part of how God created us. But to love deeply puts you in a place to be hurt deeply. Because the deeper the love, the deeper the hurt. I think we know that where you find deep heartache may also be where you find deep love. Oftentimes, though, it's a misguided love or, some, or somehow uh, it's us being wrapped up in a false love that's not good for he or healthy for us and it may point to an idol in our life. But oftentimes, especially in relationships, our deepest hurts are from those closest to us, like a family member or a child, a mom or a dad, a friend or a brother or a sister or a spouse or a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Again, when we love deeply, we hurt deeply. And the danger that we all face is to keep ourselves from hurting deeply. And in turn, we choose not to love deeply. We get that, that great tears follow great love. And Paul loved these people deeply, and he was afraid of what he may find out when he came to see them for the third time. But it didn't stop him from loving them. He wrote them this letter as an act of love towards them. And brothers and sisters, when we endure with love with the rebellious, it's a call. It's also a, a call to endure through mourning and grieving 
And you know what? When we mourn, we experience a small piece of the heart of God. Because God loves the world deeply. He loves you and me deeply. And with that, it leads him to mourn because of our ongoing sin and rebellion towards him. Our sin at its core is rebelling against God. And because of that, God mourns over us and for us. And because he mourns over us, when we mourn, he's able to sympathize with us, as his word tells us. But may we not forget the goodness of the gospel. That yes, God mourns over us, but because of Jesus going to the cross and taking on our sin, when we trust in Jesus, God is able to joyfully rejoice over us. God is sorrowful over our sin, yet he rejoices that we are his. The Christian life, just like I said last week, is sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. And God in the gospel perfectly portrays this. He mourns over our sin, but because of Jesus, he is able to lovingly embrace us and rejoice over us with incredible joy. And for us, specifically with other people, there's a great joy in loving deeply. But the risk is to be hurt deeply. But with God, there's no risk of God hurting us. Because that is not in God's nature. In our relationship with God, unloving hurt is a one-way street, and it is from us to him. Yet he loves us unconditionally anyways, <laughs> because that is the heart and love of God. Let's look at what Paul says next as we get into this concluding chapter. Start, look at chapter, chapter 13, starting in verse 1. Verse one. This is the third time I'm coming to you. Every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. I warn those who sinned before and all the others, and I warn them now while absent, as I did when present on my second visit, that if I come again, I will not spare them. Since you seek proof that Christ is speaking in me, he is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. For he was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but in dealing with you, we live with him by the power of God. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? I hope you will find out that we have not failed the test. Paul said again, uh, this is the third time he's coming. And he said on this third time in verse 2, he won't spare them. <laughs> Paul means business. He's not going to hold back if necessary. They've been giving Paul a hard time, thinking he didn't seem stoic and powerful, but this time, if necessary, Paul will show the power of God, as he said in verse 4. Paul here is being direct and to the point, and in light of that, he's challenging them to examine themselves. That's what he said in verse 5. They need to ask, as he says, are they even in the faith? Are they even Christians? Paul challenges them to test themselves with this. We see all sides of Paul here in these, in these concluding chapters. In this concluding chapter, one minute Paul's talking about mourning, and then a few verses later he gives an in-your-face direct challenge and confrontation. It's two sides of the same coin. We have to listen and grieve and mourn and empathize and also address truth and challenge and have hard conversations and be direct with sin and disobedience and rebellion. We all have ways to tend. We tend to lean, whether heavy in mourning and grace or heavy with truth and directness, but we need to be balanced with both. Leading us to our next point, number four, enduring love confronts the rebellious. 
If rebellion is never addressed and confronted, then we're not loving the one in rebellion. We naturally get this, kind of in extremes, right? I think we can agree that if I were about to run off a cliff and you could stop me and you did not stop me, that would be unloving, I think, right? Well, for those in rebellion, whatever it may be, which at the most basic level is rejecting God, you know, people reject God through unbelief, people reject God through not obeying him and his word and his ways, living a life for ourselves instead of the Lord. Every time we sin, we reject God and we're in rebellion. We could go on and on about this. But the idea is that the rebellious need to be addressed and confronting. It's unloving if it's not. But in doing so, in confronting rebellion, confronting sin, as Paul showed in our last point, is to be mixed with some form of mourning. It shouldn't be fun, and we shouldn't like it, but yet we do it because it's an act of love. When done in a way that honors the Lord. And then look at what Paul says next, starting in verse 7. That'll take us to our fifth point today. Verse 7, but we pray to God that you may not do wrong, not that we may appear to have met the test, but that you may do what is right, though you may seem to have failed, for we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. For we are glad when we are weak and you are strong, your restoration is what we pray for. For this reason, I write these things while I am away from you, that when I come, I may not have to be severe in my use of the authority that the Lord has given me, for building up and not for tearing down. Paul said, He prayed for them, uh, that they may do what is right. He realizes he's not perfect, but he's praying for them. He said in verse 9, your restoration is what we pray for. And then he said as a final warning, I wrote you so we wouldn't have to use this severe use of authority for building up and and not tearing down. But what I want to emphasize here in this last point is that he prayed for these people. He prayed for the people that turned on him. He prayed for the people that were were rebellious. He prayed for the guys that spoke poorly about him. Leading us to our fifth point, number five, enduring love prays for the rebellious. When we're wronged, whether we like it or not, God calls us to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ and to also pray for those who are far from God. One of the most bizarre and hard Bible verses may be Matthew 5, 44, that says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Paul said elsewhere in Romans 12, 14, bless those who persecute you and bless and do not curse them. Romans 12, 20, Paul says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. When we pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ, specifically for those who have wronged us or rebelled against us or those just living in rebellion, it forces us to see the rebellious the way God sees them, which helps us to endure in love. Paul said he prayed for restoration. And so for the rebellious in your life, are you praying for restoration? That's what Paul is calling for here. Praying for those who have hurt you or wronged you is really hard, but that's what God, through his word, calls us to do. Let me ask from a different angle. Who do you need to continue to pray for that you're tired of praying for? You're tired and weary of praying for them because it seems like nothing is happening. You know, when I was in college, I was challenged along with several others I was doing ministry with uh, to pray daily for six months for just one person that does not know Jesus, uh, that in essence is living in rebellion against God. And what's really cool is that several people through these ministry-wide prayer efforts began to follow Jesus. They gave their life to Christ, but not the person that I prayed for. I prayed consistently for one person daily for that one person and nothing happened. I shared with them. I love them. I tried to minister to them many times, but nothing. 
In fact, still to this day, I still pray for that same person consistently and have been for the past 15 years. Not daily, but I can say a couple times a month. And it's heartbreaking. And I often wonder, why do I still even pray? I don't understand it, but I know God calls us to pray continually. And some will follow Jesus and some will not. And in the process of us praying continually, God changes us. And so let me ask, who is it in your life that God is calling you to pray for regularly and continually? Maybe it's a person you're close with. Maybe it's a person you're ready to just give up on. I want to call you today to press on and to endure in your labor of prayer. Keep praying. Do not stop. Maybe God may have you put some of your time in ministry elsewhere, but do not stop praying. Or maybe today God is calling you to start praying daily or weekly for someone in your life that does not know Jesus, someone that is living in rebellion against God, maybe a neighbor or a coworker or a close friend here in Tampa, just one person. Start with one. Can you pray for them consistently and regularly, maybe even daily? There's 3.1 million people here in the Tampa Bay area. Will you pray for just one person consistently and regularly that, you would turn, that they would turn away from their rebellion and turn to God? Who's it going to be? Who is God calling you to pray for? Listen, prayer works. Prayer is one of the primary means that God uses to build his kingdom. We will not see a movement of God if we do not pray. Prayer works. Will you pray for the rebellious? And then look what Paul says to finally end the letter. Verse 11, finally, brothers, rejoice, aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit to be with you all. I love this. After all of this, he says, rejoice. Just kind of seeing the mixture uh, here that we've seen today of sorrowful yet always rejoicing. In our text today, Paul has been persistent, mournful, direct, challenging, and now he's saying rejoice. Rejoice, aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace with one another. This is what Paul wanted for the church, and this is what God wants for you. This is the heart of God for our church, for New City Church. God's word tells us today to rejoice, restore, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace with one another, and the God of love and peace will be with us. <laughs> I'm going to stop there for our church because next Paul tells us to greet one another with a holy kiss. And y'all, I do not know what to do with that. <laughs> uh, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think God has called us to lead us to be a kissing church. That just seems kind of weird. Um, I deeply love each of you. But if any of you, other than my wife and kids, okay, try to meet me with a holy, greet me with a holy kiss, I don't mean to be mean, but as a warning, it may not end well. <laughs> but, on a but on a serious note, though, New City Church, all five of these things we've talked about today are hard, but they're loving, enduring in love. Uh, enduring love pursues, it builds up, it mourns, it confronts, and prays for the rebellious. Paul shows us this in his conclusion as an example and model for us to follow. But we must ask in the last eight minutes of our time, eight to ten minutes of our time, how was Paul able to endure in this? To continue to pursue, pursue and press on, to build up, mourn, confront, and pray for those who continually rejected him. And for that, we must swim upstream to the original source which is found in Jesus Christ himself. 
It's the Spirit of God living inside of him to daily refresh his soul. Listen, we can't do this in our own strength and power. We desperately need the Spirit of God to come in and empower us and to revive our weary souls and to press on and to endure in love. We need to come to Jesus, our living water, to regularly revive our thirsty souls and to renew our strength. Paul has extensively wrote about this in this book, that this world is not our home, that Paul lives for a greater purpose. But do not miss this today. The source of Paul's ongoing loving endurance was Jesus Christ who came to earth for the purpose of pursuing and building up and mourning and confronting and praying for those that which have rejected him. (laughs) Jesus Christ came to spend and be spent for the rebellious on earth. So let me ask what Paul asked in verse five. Have you examined whether you know this Jesus as revealed in God's word or not? Do you know this Jesus who daily restores your soul? And when we think of that phrase that Paul uses to spend and be spent, that's what Paul did. But may we not forget, that's what Jesus did by going to the cross. Jesus completely cashed in and spent his entire life by sacrificing himself for you and for me. And so when we look at what's ahead of us and all the people here in the Tampa Bay area that are living in rebellion against God, who by nature are far from God because they have not trusted in Jesus. May we, New City Church, spend and be spent for the rebellious. Yes, absolutely. This includes those who have rebelled against you, but let's not forget those who have rebelled against God that are still in rebellion against God because they do not have Jesus. May we spend and be spent to see the gospel advance so that those who are living in rebellion may see the goodness and the greatness of God. May they see the one that they're rebelling against so that they may find the true and living water that daily refreshes and renews and strengthens weary souls and anxious hearts. And the only way for us humans who are weak, frail, like fragile clay pots, as Paul has told us in this book, are able to do this, is to continually drink from the source of everlasting, living, and strengthening water to go upstream, so to speak, and draw from the well of loving endurance himself, to draw from the enduring love of Christ. It's when we come in weakness to Jesus Christ, realizing that we can't try, we can't try in our own strength. Uh, we can't forgive and pursue yet again. But through the power of Christ, God works in our hearts, softens us, and provides strength and grace and mercy to do it again. When we are transformed into the image of God, we are transformed to a people who are empowered to lovingly pursue the rebellious again and again and again and again and again. And as I've already said, may we not forget that's exactly what Jesus has done for us day in and day out. Jesus shows us grace upon grace upon grace. Every day, Jesus pursues us who are by nature rebellious. And he does it again and again and again and again. Christian, hear this today. Jesus is pursuing you. (laughs) He is praying. He is praying to God for you on your behalf. Jesus Christ right now is sitting next to God the Father and is praying and he is begging God for you on your behalf. Romans 8.34 tells us just that. Jesus sits at the right hand of God and he intercedes for us. Christian, take heart. Jesus is pursuing you and he is praying for you and he is building you up. 
As a follower of Christ, the spirit of the living God dwells inside of you who is put there to help you, encourage you, and to build you up. God has given you and me his word and a community of people that by his kindness has given, he was given to us to build us up. And not only is Jesus pursuing you and me and praying for you and me and building us up, Jesus is also mourning with us and he grieves over our sin for us. Jesus is able to sympathize with us. He sees us mourn, he mourns. When you hurt, Jesus hurts. When you grieve, Jesus grieves. When you rebel against God day after day, it causes God to mourn because he hates our sin. And because of that, he does whatever it takes to confront our sin, to put it to death in our life because Jesus is for us, he is not against us. And all of this is done by Jesus Christ going to the cross, dying a death that we deserve, and then defeating sin and death. Brothers and sisters, the gospel is good news for us today. Because as I've said in the gospel, God sees our rebellion. He mourns over it. He confronts it at the cross and daily in our life. And he also daily and hourly and moment by moment because of the cross pursues us, prays for us, and is building us up. And we, listen, we are not a people without hope. In our rebellion of unbelief and doubt, in our rebellion of poor life choices, in our rebellion of fill in the blank, Jesus saw it, he sees it, and he will see it in the future. And again and again and again, he has, and he will continue to lavish his enduring and his unending love upon us. And so when we ask, how did Paul love those who reject him, who were living in rebellion? He swam upstream to the source of infinite and constant, overflowing, loving endurance. He went to love himself. He daily sat at the feet of Jesus and gazed upon his goodness and his glory and his unending love. Paul emptied himself. He was spent for their souls, but yet in God's kindness, God regularly replenished that which he spent because that's what God does. We spend and we live spent, but in God's mercy, when we come to him, God lavishes more grace on us than we spend. When we think we've spent it all, when we've come to the living water, God lavishes more grace and more enduring love than we had before. Because every time we spend and live spent for the Lord, God deepens our well and he can fill it back up with more enduring love so it can be spent even more than before. Brothers and sisters, will you spend and be spent for the rebellious? Will you endure in love? Will you endure in pursuing and building up and mourning and confronting and praying for the rebellious? I pray that you will. Brothers and sisters, we must remember endurance you need to continue loving and continue spending and being spent for the souls around you for the rebellious. You need to remember that endurance does not come from you. It comes from the well of Jesus Christ, an enduring well of love, the enduring well of the love of Christ. And so I want to call us to end this book that is filled with comfort and peace to not forget where the comfort and peace comes from. It comes from the enduring love of Jesus Christ. New City Church, go there. Stay there and don't leave that space. Sit with Jesus, be with Jesus, and let him lavish his love upon you and refresh your soul yet again because there is where you find the source. It's where you find the strength in light of rebellion to daily find renewal, to be able to say, brother, sister, rejoice, aim for restoration, comfort one another. Sister, agree with one another. Brother, live in peace, and there God will meet you with his peace. That's what God's word promises us today. Maybe even while you're there, God will give you a holy kiss on the cheek. Let's pray. God, we, we love you. We know that you restore our souls. 
that you provide renewal and strength, that you provide the endurance that we daily need to spend and be spent. God, we love you. Would you, would you meet us where we are? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.